0: Hello and welcome to the 68th episode of The Provisional. It is Monday, July 10th, 2023 and I'm Brad Cole. And with me as always is Jeff Kaiser.
1: Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, great to see you after a week off during the sum- our summer break. Is it was this like our, our summer break like the uh like Formula 1? I think it was yes. our 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 summer break but uh always coming back with big time guests tonight. Can't wait for this.
0: Also joining us this evening
2: from Champlin, Minnesota, Jeff Municke. Greetings, guys, and good evening. And I would certainly be remiss by not recognizing it's national Don't Step on a Bee Day. Oh, Have you guys ever stepped on a bee?
1: Oh, yes, no. Yes, for I, sure. I, I, I've I've lawn mowed over like, you know, like a yellow jacket nest, and then they swarm you and they hit you in the legs. Oh, okay. I don't think I've ever stepped on a bee. Brad, You've stepped, you've
0: stepped on a bee? When I was little, I actually stepped on a beehive
1: uh, at
0: Ooh. my parents' house and uh, didn't didn't win that one. So, uh, yeah.
2: I've had two instances with a bee that were quite nasty. One, I sat on a bee in my oh, swimsuit. No. Oh, the bee no. got in the lining of my swimsuit and I sat on it <laughs> and I thought I, I, I sat on a tack. So that was one. And then secondly, up at the family cabin, a couple of neighbors came over in kayaks and the wiener dogs are out there, and we're we're greeting the the neighbors, and suddenly the two wiener dogs yelped. I'm just like, oh, what's that all about? And then I got stung. So there's was a wasp wasp nest underneath our dock in the corner, oh, and wow. as I looked under the dock, I was like, this this was about three softball size beehive or wasp nest. It was awful. Wow.
0: Well, uh, it's good to remind our listeners that this is the Provisional Golf Podcast, and we actually have a guest this week, folks. I don't even know how to do his introduction correctly, so I'm probably just going to make it quick. Um, But more than likely, we will not stay on the topic of golf. This is a person who has spent their whole life covering every sport you can think of, uh, has been to pretty much every concert you can think of, and is one of the most well-traveled golfers I know. Um, he spends a lot of his free time just checking out new golf courses all over the world. And uh, it's pretty fascinating to talk with them. Um, that's right. Our guest this week is none other than Jerry Zagoda. Z,
3: how are we doing? Good. 68th show. That's a lot of Mulligans, isn't it?
0: <laughs> We're almost at par. We're almost yes. at par. It's uh, depending on your your preference. I think the state open is going on right now at Hopkins, uh, at Oak Ridge Country Club. I Believe the par there is 70. Some courses have par 71, some 72s. Uh, yeah. not a lot of par 68. Z, have you ever played a par 68?
3: Played par 66 somewhere, I know. Um, rightwood hills in Scotland. Nice, all, all, the, all the quirky different things, but uh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I have. But you were, you were mentioning uh, lofts. Uh, I've never stepped on one, but uh, I once had. Hornets build one in my eaves. And until you've had one of those, you haven't lived. <laughs> are nasty. I, no, I have
0: no interest in living, I guess, at that point.
3: No. They're remarkable in their engineering, but man, I was <laughs> I was up on my ladder and my neighbor was holding my, my ladder and he goes, if they start coming out, I'm running, just so you know.
0: So oh my gosh, no doubt. So Jerry, tell us a bit about your love for golf. Because obviously you covered everything from the North Stars to soccer that you name it a little bit of everything but tell us about your love for golf and when that started and kind of your your situation with golf
3: I prove you don't have to be good to enjoy it and to love it so you know it's it's like I for for a time I'm not so much anymore for a time I got really fascinated with uh golf course architecture and uh there's there's a thing called the golf club atlas they call it the tree house and it has all these golf course architecture nerds in it and I, and and so for quite a while I was really into it and you know if Band of Dunes opened I had to go see it and uh you know my top 10 you hate to say it because you know in it, this business but uh my my, my I don't want to brag but my top 10 is pretty good and that's a lot of it's just a function of the job I have so you like like how many people can say they they played Augusta
0: yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good top 10. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good one and only. That's
3: uh... well, that's not even number one. You know you know what I'd put number one? Just for the experience of it, Sandhills. Wow. What?
1: Well, I mean, I, at this point, I mean, I we're early in the show. We might as well just run through the top 10, Jerry. Just like, the you, list. I mean, you Let's can't hit us list. with that. I mean, you can't hit us with top 10 in the first, like, you know, minute and a half and not just, you I'll know, give this, us the top this 10.
3: Is good, this is a no order. Uh, Sandhills. Augusta National, Pebble. Can we just lump all the bandins into one? Sure. sure. Bandon, <laughs> um Pinehurst 2, uh, Oakmont, Shinnecock Hills, Old Course, St. Andrews, Royal County Down, Valley Bunyan. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and just so our listeners
0: are aware... Jerry's not a touring professional.
3: He just <laughs>
0: has been able to play these places because there's a plenty of tour pros that haven't played every one of those courses. That's fantastic, Jerry. Oh, it's,
3: Ocean it's, Course, uh, South Carolina. Uh, yeah, Keywater, Sure. Yep. Yeah, uh, they're they're coming to be here slowly, but but uh but surely. I'm trying to think if I if I missed anything else out in Scotland and Ireland. Uh, I mean, is he,
2: Jay- how, how, how does it work for, you You played Augusta. Is that part of the media day or it's a post event? And how does that well, process work?
3: Well, what they do is they have, they have a lottery. It's during the tournament. So they have a lottery like on Saturday. And if you win, you can't, uh, you can't enter the lottery again for seven years. At least this used to be the rule. And in my first year, I think me and Suhan, both in our first years, lucked out and won and they had, they had a certain number, not that many, maybe 16 spots for um, media. and Then they had spots for sponsors. And um, I hate to sound like a whiner, but we got sent off number 10. And I had played like once in six months because it's, you know, April and I hadn't played since the, the fall. And I really wish I could have played it the way it's intended from one through because we were like, we were through Amen Corner before you knew it. And I was just waking up and, uh, I really wish I could have done it that way. But either way, it's a lot like Pebble. It's just it's just uh, scenery overload. You know, you just keep looking around at everything. You can't even concentrate on hitting the ball because you're just looking at something beautiful over here and something beautiful over there. And the highlight of, so, yeah. of oh, yeah.
2: keep going, keep going.
3: Of, two highlights of my day there were uh, I birdied number eight, which was my 17, so I was just getting warmed up. And and in terms of collectibles or souvenirs, you know, they put you with the the, uh, caddies. And uh, the the caddies have the satchel that has grass seed in it. It's got a little cup. So everywhere you hit, they fill it in. And uh, I didn't even realize he did it. But my caddy must have run out of grass from following me around. I get home and open up my bag, my travel bag. And stuck inside my golf bag is a old satchel. With with the top from uh, from uh, Augusta National.
2: Oh my, that, that did, is a keepsake. That's pretty special. That is I a didn't keepsake.
3: Didn't return it.
2: <laughs> so, so Z, so uh, with your foursome, is it other media members, and was that memorable? Are you allowed to take photos when you're out there for media day, yeah, unlike they, like they are for pick, the weekend?
3: They like to take photos. Like, the thing is, uh, um, they didn't. They don't. Uh, Cut the greens after the final round, but they they keep the Sunday pin tape placement. So you're playing the stuff. There's one I what hole was it? It's Seventeen? I don't know. I put, you know because if you're not in the white right quadrant of those greens, you're screwed. And there's one where I putted it and I putted it right off the green, I'm just so slick. And I started to get pissed, and then I remember thinking Tiger did that on Thursday on the same green, so. <laughs> And I couldn't get, I couldn't get too, uh, angered at myself, but yeah, you get like, I think Jim and I were both in the same group and I don't remember who else was, um, with us or not. Uh, oh, I can, I can tell you a, a, a one funny story. This is a, this is a lore from people who are in this tournament. There, there is a guy, um, uh, Who's the the uh, columnist for SIL reviews? Rick Riley. Well,
2: oh, mm-hmm. Rick Riley, sure, yeah.
3: Well, this was uh, I think a couple of years before I got there. But well, there was a guy named Sean Paul who was a columnist at Newsday. I don't know where he is now, but he was he, he was a big guy covering the NBA, and he came to Augusta, and he entered uh, the lottery and won, and he had never played golf. So he's out there playing his first round on Augusta National. Oh wow. my goodness. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> when he gets done, Rick Riley sees him in the parking lot. I can't say he yells because I don't think they let you yell at Augusta, but he but he goes to, to uh China and goes, you know, who was the first person you ever slept with? Holly Berry? That the really old Rick Riley. <laughs> line, so <laughs> That's really oh, funny, but that group lives on in legend.
2: That's that unbelievable. is fantastic.
0: So, Z, tell us a bit about playing the course because the first time I was there, I really the biggest thing for me was just the altitude change. You know, I'm used to uh, Rum River Hills when you know, every once in a while it might go up or down three yards. Uh, but a course like this, when you you know, you literally have anywhere from you know two to three clubs at times for different you know for just the uphills and the downhills. Talk to us about the altitude, and what were the things that surprised you the most about playing it rather than just watching it on TV?
3: Well, that strikes you the first time you walk in there. Not not the plane, to play, you know, just to cover it you walk through. Because it's the only tournament that comes back every year. You know, it's, it looks like a little bit like a Disney village. You know, all these little buildings there, they all look like they can't be that possibly cute and real. And so you are walking through down there, and you get in, and you haven't seen the course yet. And all of a sudden, you get down by 1 and 10. And you just see this whole thing tumbling out in front of you. And that's your first impression of it. it the elevation change, you're not ready for it. I don't think it captures it on on, uh, on TV. So, and then, you know, you're like nine, nine you know, the uh, approach shot up to an elevated green and then 10, 11, 12, all those have great elevation changes. But, uh, um, I mean, for me, I was just trying to, the good thing there is, you know, the rough isn't that. Tough, but it was still the hardest part was getting the ball on the green because you got like I said before. If you get in the wrong spot, you got you got no chance. And my uh, my touch wasn't that good, and uh, I, I hadn't been warmed up very well in the preceding six months, so uh, it, it uh, t- took me a while. But that's the biggest thing. And uh, the other thing is just the place, you know, to put it in beyond anywhere else. I came out one night. Uh, I had early in the week, I write a lot of stuff. So I'm kind of late coming out of there. seven, eight o'clock and it's dark and they come out and they're just like this glow in the air. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell, why does it feel like it's, you know, twilight. And then I realized they've got so much money that they put individual lamps on all the azalea, uh, azaleas to get them to oh bloom gosh. at the right time. So there's lights on all these plants all over the course. And we're looking out and you can really see the elevation change there with all these lights kind of up on these hills it's uh it's you know it's the same thing like when they rebuilt the course you know everything sucks the drainage right out of there well this this is so particular that they've got it down to a science and make, make sure that the, the flowers bloom the four days that they're supposed to z, did so, you ever
2: do oh sorry guys but uh, z did you ever do anything to cross the green jackets, was there ever a rule or an infraction where you kind of said, oh boy, or did you get scolded by a green jacket over anything you tried? No, to-
3: just don't run. Don't run. But you know, there's never any occasion because they do that to people get in there and they try to get a good spot. And, and that, um, it was just weird though. Yeah, like how the green jackets and the, then there's everybody else. There's there's kind of this uh, social order there. That's, that's kind of weird. but. Uh, uh I, I i behaved myself at least I, I don't think i got put on any uh you know list or anything so i only did i only put i probably only maybe four years i think i covered it so so Zia, yeah. see so, like, yeah, i know you're low. a big uh
1: i know you're a big bucket list guy you just got back from stockholm seeing the last ever elton john show from the first row in stockholm sweden it's about as Top of the bucket list as anybody could possibly get for their favorite musical artist. I, I know you played in Europe and stuff. Like, you know, is there anywhere that you haven't been that you kind of, like, gosh, like I need to find a way to hit this while I can still play some decent golf?
3: Um, I've gotten to most of them. You know, for all the times I've been to like uh, L.A., I've never gotten to play. You know, like L.A. Country Club, which people really didn't know about most people until you know a month ago. But I I knew about it the way the craft gotten that was Chad Hartman that I know of he had the right end and he got he got into it picture uh, you know, I never got into that or la or Riviera for an hour down the road a public course called Rustic Canyon which is a great course still and still one of my favorites so it's a it's a little bit of a consolation prize but um you know of, of the big ones I'm quite I played pretty much most of them. I mean, not well all the time, but, <laughs> you know, some of them are paid for. Like when I went to Scotland. I, I went on a trip to, well, the first time I played Scotland, to tell you how long ago this was, it was $40 to play the old boy. Wow. Now it's, I think it was 1986, and now it's uh, got to be 350 probably. Yeah. Um, I was there <laughs>
0: So Z, you shared your top 10 list, Uh, two other questions kind of down that path. Uh, Everyone that comes on the show, we have them tell us their dream foursome. So you pick anyone you want to play golf with. So you and three other people, you can play any course in the world and the people can be alive. They can be dead. The courses can be um, expensive. They can be cheap. They can be something sentimental. It can be somewhere you just... I mean, it seems like you've already probably had some sort of dream foursome, but if you had to pick just a random day, money doesn't matter, membership doesn't matter, nothing matters, uh, who's your dream foursome? Oh, man.
3: That's that's too tough. Do they have to be golfer? Nope. No. Absolutely not. They don't have to be alive either. Oh, man. That's really – well, old Tom Morris would probably be one. Nice. <laughs> just, just for historical. Uh Ben Crenshaw, just because I think he's the nicest man there is, and uh just covering him, I just I just like him. Um and it's it's a miracle to me that uh he and Tom Tite grew up together and knew each other all their life. You couldn't have two more people more different than than those two. So um let's see. Just somebody I've always thought was just funny and I'd like to spend time with him, Jeff Goldblum.
2: Oh, oh nice. the fly.
3: <laughs> the fly.
2: I love it. So are I have you no guys idea.
3: I have no idea if he plays golf. Well, uh, he
0: could just ride the cart. I mean, depending on where you go. So are you guys going to Jurassic Park or where are you going for this uh foursome? That's a good question.
3: Hawaii Country Club? I don't know. uh the fourth, uh Patty Bird.
2: Wow, a couple of really good old schools. Those are great. Yes. So, what so on top on top of this, you might have you might have this, already this answered. This is all
3: the in this there. is all in their prime, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Z, so you, you might have already answered the question, but I'm just curious for from all your years of covering the sport, um, who is your favorite guy to cover, and who is the guy you'd see coming down the hallway where you're like, oh, oh wow. You might have answered the question already with your previous uh, Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite. Uh, story, but who, who are a couple of the favorites and a couple of people that you you don't miss?
3: Um, well, not list. I think I ha- I have been up there for guys that I, that like you know you don't really get a chance to know these guys too well because you know they only come here. It's not like covering a pro sports team where you see the guys every day. You know they only come here. Um, sometimes you know not for once in ten years but it took it took them forever to get Tom Watson here to play with the 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 senior event, but. Um, I can tell you I've had maybe four bad experiences with people in my life in terms of interviews where I came off just thinking, what? um, um, And two of them, senior golfers. Oh. And (laughs) keep going. (laughs) Uh, Tom Kite would be on that list. Tom Kite? Yeah. And Luke Floyd.
1: Ray Floyd. Wow. Okay. You know, it's
0: funny you say that, Z. I've uh, actually, my college coach, uh, Mike Zinni, grew up playing with Tom Kite down in Texas. So I've sat with Tom and talked about some things. Interesting personality. And I actually played once with uh, one of Dana Quigley's fundraisers uh, for his son. I got to play with Ray Floyd once. And uh, let's just say I I had Ray Floyd day two. I had uh, Bernard Longer day one little different experiences between uh, Bernard Longer and Ray Floyd. So those sure, are
3: valid. All charming in their own times. Maybe it's just me. You know, maybe I'm off-putting. But uh, um, it was just kind of trying to – it was weird. They both the same situation, trying to set up an interview where they got on site early in the tournament. And, and the first morning they were there, and I was just trying to say, hey, can I talk to you this afternoon? And it it didn't go well either way. They both kind of threw a little mini te- temper tantrums. And, uh, Who are the other two? Uh, the other two? Uh, I won't name his name because I have to deal with him, but he's an agent in basketball. Um, Got it. And, and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. Oh, Kurt my Ron. goodness. Snake uh, Plissken? He was... Uh, Wyatt Earp? People tell me he's the greatest, and uh, he was promoting... Uh, um, the Herb Brooks movie, the the Miracle on Ice. Miracle, sure. At, at the two thousand four uh, NHL All Star game at the XL, and uh, he just got on this tangent. See, he played baseball and he almost made the major leagues, but he blew out his knee or something. Yeah, and he had a, he has a problem with sports writers who've never played the game. So I kept going down this thing about yeah, but you've never played the game. And so uh, and the one thing I to tell him is that you know, for all of Herbie's faults, he wouldn't treat people like. You know, as demeaning as he kind of was, not to me, but you know, wow. guys, guys have bad days. Uh, Fascinating. Russell, the computer I, I, who I wore was... tennis
2: shoes, Snake Pliskin, Wyatt Earp. I mean, oh man, that's that's yeah. a stake in the heart right there.
3: Uh, well, I once when they had the uh, Sundance uh, Film Festival, ran into him at the uh, not well. I saw him at the Saint uh, Salt Lake City Airport, and there they all, all these guys there getting autographs for wh- whoever big star was coming through and um i talked to them after they talked to me they said oh he's great he was really nice really friendly so like i said maybe it's sometimes just me you know maybe the way i asked the question or something but yeah but i mean for doing this for 40 years they only have really four bad ones that i can kind of remember and that i keep remembering that's
0: that that's pretty fantastic that you had that good that that many good experiences and it's interesting too because i know people that have uh in certain scenarios have met with patrick reed uh some guys at tpc twin Cities said he's one of the greatest dudes ever to them and i know other people feel the exact opposite about patrick reed so you know i think it's it's well, so saying, often based on the interaction
3: I'm saying this is several this is 20 years ago probably the other guy that it, it wasn't bad but just came off not good with jerry kelly mm-hmm. He he's little, spicy. Yeah.
0: he's okay. always got a little, a little, a little heat in there. And those guys, yeah. those guys
3: are good too. They're good quotes to, if you get them going.
0: Absolutely, and that's one of the things is even though I'm not a huge Sergio Garcia fan, I think he's always a great quote. You know, Sergio, uh, John Rom, Rory McIlroy, all those guys from the European Ryder Cup team always seem to have great unfiltered stuff. Even if you don't agree with it, they they speak from you know from the heart. Whereas I feel like sometimes the Americans don't necessarily give as good a soundbite. It's not saying, you know, just it's there's some really, some really honest stuff being (laughs) thrown out by those guys.
3: Yeah. When I covered the Ryder Cup when it was here, they gave me like six weeks beforehand to travel to a couple couple of different tournaments, just get stuff in my notebook and get ready to write. And the last one that I I was missing that I hadn't gotten was just Sergio and his history with Ryder Cup. And, uh, you could tell I was it was at that uh, one of the the playoff ones that was that crooked stick, maybe it was the BMW or whatever, and uh, I, I approached him and you could tell he didn't want to, want to talk about it. But the end I had was his agent, at least at the time, was a foreign exchange student, some little town up in, near Brainerd. So he had this affinity to Minnesota, so he got Sergio to stop and talk for five minutes about the Ryder Cup, and he was great, but didn't didn't, didn't want to do it at first, so. Wow. That's fascinating.
1: That's fast. <laughs> so Jerry, just to totally, while you're talking about covering the game, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts, just it's a little bit of a topic switch, but it's kind of interesting how so many of the, I guess, maybe the most well-known golf journalists right now, whether or not it's, you know, Sobel, Shipnuck, Bamberger, Van Valkenberg, they've obviously kind of all switched to I guess non-traditional me- media outlets. I'm kind of just curious what you, you know, kind of how you feel about the the state of golf media, you know, kind of right now. I think there's there's some amazing content that's being produced out there right now. It's just a little a little different than it's been. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts about it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you know the quality is still really good, but there's a lot fewer voices. You know, used to go to the majors, the Masters, the U.S. Open at least, maybe not so much the P.J. always, but every city would have their writer there, you know, Mm. probably Gary D'Amato from Milwaukee. I think he still goes, but you know, there'd be a writer from Kansas city and a writer from Cleveland, and a writer, you know, several writers from New York. And you just got this different, I mean, it was also fun just because you got to hang out and see people you don't normally hang out with. And there's a certain fraternity to it, but I think you had a, you know, a multitude of voices, probably not as plugged in as, you know, when you boil it down to the six or eight or whoever, know are, are the top guys now but um you know it's like everything else in this business is i mean for me i don't, I don't cover a lot anymore i'll do like when the 3m's here and uh and kind of an offbeat story like i did a couple of weeks ago with with jeff with interlocking which turned out great um so but certainly not like it used to be i mean back in the day uh i don't know if anybody remembers but for uh, Star Tribune was John Rowe, St. Paul was Greg Wong, and those yeah. guys built that thing for everything they could. They were out there for every MGA event, all counting it as work, saying, "Hey, we've been out here all summer, and now you know all those events are one paper that you get sent in by MGA to, and uh, you know we only really cover if if there's a big event, if there's like. Uh, Uh, Whether the women's PGA was here at Hazeltine or or, uh, obviously a Ryder Cup or a a PGA, we go crazy on on that stuff. But uh, Mm -hmm. don't cover golf like we used to just because there's so few uh, people left on the staff and so much other things to cover. Hmm.
0: So if you have to rank your top five working moments of your life. So. Uh, and you don't have to be any specific order, but like the top five, you know, you've been to all these amazing places. You've seen all these different events. This doesn't have to be golf. This could be covering uh, a con, whatever it is, top five things you've done in your life or that you've seen in person, uh, where you were there in some form of, you know, work, uh, what, what would they be? Where do you draw the line? I know you've seen some pretty amazing things, but I mean, are we... That's
3: a good question. I haven't thought about that in my career of all the stuff I've seen. Um, I can tell you not specific ones but that that I saw those bowl championships back when we covered the NBA Finals. You know, to see, I don't know, I probably saw three of Jordan's, what, six? And, uh, you know, was there where the game was changing the the hand and all that stuff and uh, um, I covered Stanley Cups uh, with Dresky, you know, the fact that they able and then uh, all the golf tournaments with Tiger; those are the three guys that I think is cool that I got to see from you know an arms arms length away. I mean, they wouldn't know who the hell I was, but you could sit there in that setting and ask them questions. And, um, and Gretzky, early on, you could get him one on one. I remember early in my very earliest; I got hired by the Star Tribune in '84, and uh, so that was just the prime of the Oilers runs. And the one thing I wish I'd been there, but I wasn't. I think it was two seasons before. I started covering, I got hired to, to cover the North Stars, was a fight between Neil Broughton and Wayne Gretzky.
2: Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that.
3: I That's wish great. I had seen that in person. I've always seen it in in, in grainy uh, YouTube clips. Oh, that, that was Gretzky's fight,
2: only it? skirmish, was it not? I don't think he had another one.
3: I use the term fight very loosely.
2: <laughs> a dance. <laughs>
3: Uh, but the cover of the Ryder Cup here and, and all the preparation leading up to it and all the stuff we did with it, that was probably one of the highlights. Um, uh, Gophers Final Four was the writer on that, the team that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the, <laughs> just the, uh, the, the just the joy and passion that stirred it here in the community for that, you know, as, as the games kept going on, that great game against Clemson. And, um and leading up to the final four i think uh That's it's pretty a pretty good list
0: weird. were you involved at all with uh 87 or 91 world
3: series just on the on the periphery i i, I was covering the well i was covering the north stars for the first one and the wolves for the second one um so i helped out i covered i did like sidebars for some of the first games and then uh um I went as a fan. I had two tickets for Game Seven of '91, and being the good son I am, I gave them to my mom and dad right above the first base dugout. And I went to the and the sat way up in left field. But uh, that was a, that was a cool thing. Just for all the energy when it was all over, it's like you couldn't have stopped and, and not got pushed out of the building because it's just a sea of people, <laughs> just all celebrating. And the other time was, I remember, I, I covered a game. I, I think it was game seven of 87. I, was, I did a sidebar. And we all had varying, depending on what your job was and how intensive it was, we had varying deadlines. So I had an early deadline. So I uh, filed my story. And back then, the paper was two blocks away from the Metrodome. So I walked over and sat in the newsroom for an hour and watched how they people put this thing together. And then we went to... Our sports editor's house and at two thirty in the morning. Someone brought the first edition in and threw it the on, on the steps, and it was just kind of cool. That game, just to watch the what we do and how we do it, especially at that time with the number of people we covered. It was a it was amazing just how we could churn out you know ten editors and probably you now five editors and probably ten writers. And uh, that's that's one of the things you go ah that's why I, why I got into business stuff like that. It's for the big events. The uh, things that you were there that sort of are our history that you can say. that now I'm trying to recount in my head of which ones I've uh, which ones I've covered. But um, I'm sure a couple more will come to me before we sign off here.
0: So, from a golf specific perspective, you had uh, 2017 U.S. Open, Aaron Hills, 2016 uh, Ryder Cup, 2015 PGA Championship at Whistling. 2009 PGA Championship. Uh, I think we also had you know, we had some a few things go on at Medina. Some more stuff happened at Whistling, kind of in the Upper Midwest, um, and then obviously back to the U.S. Open. Uh, Payne Stewart, and Scott Simpson, that whole deal. So, if well, you look, at those... got story
3: about that while, I, while I'm thinking about that. Can I, can I inter- interrupt you? Send it, yeah. So Monday or Tuesday of uh, U.S. Open week, 1981. I'm out there with my pass, and I got clubhouse access. And uh, my buddy, Chad Hartman, from being on the Wolves beat together, he had access, too. So we go in there. I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday. It was early in the week, and we – guys are just sitting there. You know, you can just go up to anybody. They're sitting at their locker. They're sitting at a table. They're playing cards. So we walk up with Payne Stewart and sit down with him, and he had been a – he was a big Magic fan at the time because it was just the expansion teams, you know, the Magic, the Wolves. So we started talking basketball. Blah blah blah, blah, blah blah blah, we got on. He was great, and then, and then he said, you know, "He goes, oh, my back's killing me. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to play. I don't know if I, I can, if I can even get to the first tee on Thursday." So I wrote a notebook item about that. Wayne Stewart and Chad mentioned it on the air, and then the asshole goes and wins the whole thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about that? That's quite the story. So. You know, Z, if you think about kind of all these upper Midwest golf tournaments and, and even, you know, you can look at what just happened. Um, Obviously, we've had a lot of great 3M Opens, uh, 3M Championships, KPMG. Um, we had the uh, Solheim. There's so Is many Hale, great...
3: Is Hale Irwin still winning those tournaments?
0: <laughs> you know what? There's a new Hale Irwin uh, officially after uh, what just went down in uh, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, you know, Bernard Longer. Is starting to break all of Hale's records, which no one thought was ever going to be possible, winning a U.S. Senior Open at age 65, I believe. Uh, Pretty fantastic stuff. Just another, you know, literally the heaviest favorites in the field were Jerry Kelly and Steve Stricker and Bernard Longer at age 65 holds off the two Wisconsin heavy favorites. It was an incredible story. and That was just a couple weeks ago. So all of these big events that have happened in the upper Midwest, what's the one that takes the cake for you?
3: Oh, boy. Um, I'd probably have to say the Ryder Cup here with all of them. I mean, like with some of the ones you mentioned, I, we, we didn't cover. Um, although I did went – you guys went to the 2015 PGA, didn't you? hmm yeah. Yep, Jeff and I were there for a few days. Yeah, so what I did for that is they they didn't have me cover that, but what I did was I went over to – there's a place called Green Lake, Wisconsin. It's about 90 mm-hmm. 90- so I rented a, a house on uh, Green Lake for a week and had a couple of my buddies come over, and we played Lasonia every day, which if people want a little tip on, we were talking about the, all the great courses I played. Lasonia is as good as just about anything. I mean, it doesn't have the history of Augusta and all that stuff, but it's fun as hell to play. And then We've been done-
2: raving about that Lasonia for years. a few years. I, we got to get over there one day.
3: So uh, then on Friday, we got very early and drove over for the third round to watch the third round, um, and it was hotter than Bell. And it was, uh, it was probably 95 and, and humid, but uh, uh, even though I didn't cover it, I got to see, we at least got to see it. It was, it was a great way to see a major. You know, go play golf for five days and go see one day and then watch it on the weekend.
0: And that Friday night was the night that the uh, merchandise tent went down, remember? Yes. The, yeah, yeah, it was it, crazy storms
3: came through after that heat. We kept hoping that it would blow through and then that everyone would go home, and then there'd be a, like two hours left of sunlight and we could watch. Because one of the one of the coolest things of covering was, and I hate to say this because of the circumstances of it, but '91 at the U.S. Open, when you had the storm and the men hmm. uh, killed by by lightning, you know, it delayed everything. But in the afternoon, everyone had gone home, and all these guys were playing in the evening, and you could walk up like right next to them and watch them because there's no there was nobody there. And it was, you know, I remember following Woods at the time when he was a big deal and Sandy Lyle and, uh, um, I mean. Jadon Blake. Yeah. Thumb pro
0: guy. You could get the whole 1991 uh, PGA uh, Pro Tour uh, golf card set out there. I mean, that's I can literally see all these guys. Scott Simpson, you know, it was, uh, it was a good, man. And some of these guys are still playing pretty well in Champions Tour,
3: you know. Well, that was, a, that was a really fun one to cover. And I only did, I did that. I was just helping out in the world then. I did sidebars and stuff. But that was just cool because it was the first time. You know, i had been back in like 21 years. And uh, um, we just put on a great show. And I still remember I came out. I wasn't working, but I had a credential. So I came out to watch the playoff. And he got up to 17. And Scott Simpson was up there. And he had this downhill back to front of the green. And when he touched the ball, I swear it wouldn't go further than three feet. I mean, it, it looked like he just blew on it. And the thing rolled and rolled 40 feet. I would say he didn't win, but I remember just thinking, man, I'd be like in the lake if I put it <laughs> the way I had to put it that delicately.
0: So Z talk, I always love asking yeah. people this question because to me, in my opinion, and again, not everyone agrees with me, but one of the greatest misses with Tiger's career is uh, the O2 and the O9 PGA championships losing to Rich Beam and Y.E. Yang and Hazel talk a little bit about those two i always love bringing it up some people think it's kind of a sore spot but for how dominant he was and against so many great players you know to lose majors to those two guys is kind of a bit of a, an asterisk if there are any asterisks on his career what are your thoughts
3: well, that was still sort of when the PGA was kind of seen as, you know, not really the produced champion that were maybe weren't worthy of, of a major, you know, not like the USA or the U.S. Open or or the or the British or, or obviously or the, the ma- Masters as well. Um, but like why Yang is he's, he's playing on the Champions Tour now. Isn't he? he is. He's he playing does. great too. Yeah. 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 Yep. You know, all that it was, with Rich Beam. All you got was Tiger got beat by a car phone salesman.
0: <laughs> you know, it's just it's fascinating to look back how things kind of play out over time. So I uh, you know, we've seen some pretty cool things here. And uh, I will say in 2002 I was on the course with my dad when Tiger was chasing Rich Beam. Uh and when he made that birdie on 15, and you could feel the ground kind of start shaking, and then he went to 16, and everyone's chasing at the 16, he made the birdie on 16, and everyone, I mean. The place was going nuts and he made the birdie on 17 people are literally knocking each other over to get to 18 and then he loses and uh, they're pretty anticlimactic. but it was like there's just in my opinion in sports there has never been someone that's created more excitement more energy around something uh relative to everyone else than tiger like there's just no there's tiger crowds, tiger birdies. There's nothing else like it. In, in your opinion, is there anything in, like in,
3: it in sports or in golf?
0: Well, I guess in, in sports or golf, either one. I mean, I'm just saying in golf. It I think Jordan,
3: Jordan's pretty close, even though it's a team game. It's not an individual game like uh, like golf is. But you know, Jordan was like kind of like wait, you know, people waiting for him. And the other thing I was like just looking back over my career. The other thing that was sort of odd that just brought people and Mune can speak to this, to the arena 90 minutes before, people would come out and see Steph shoot. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, that was
2: amazing. It was amazing. I, you know, when you talk about Jordan Z, I, I had uh, two interactions with Jordan, very quick, very sweet, but I, I, I try to explain to people the feeling that was around when you were in front of him or close. You had this tingling feeling, and it's almost like this – bubble around you and it was the strangest sensation i've ever had i I don't know if i've ever had it with anybody else and we've all been around some pretty big names and pretty pretty famous people but jordan was one where i it it was just hard to explain it i was so tongue-tied trying to talk to him that i'm not even sure i made sense
3: yeah we we were talking about guys and bad experiences with them and encounters uh this just and all these memories are coming back talking about the old days of uh, uh, the nicest time I've ever got blown off by anybody in the nicest way of trying to get something. And guess who it would have been? It was in the golf world, but the guy who was nicest kind of declined to do an interview. Who would you think it would be?
2: Oh, so, well, am hey, I, Stricker? I. I was just going to say Strix. Yeah.
3: Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. The, the 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 amateur was coming to team in 20, 2006, and I was going to cover it, and I was writing a piece about how this used to be the big event, USM. You know, people had forgotten that over the years, it got replaced by all these other things, and of course, it kind of came of age with Arnie winning it when he won it for the first time. So I wanted to get him in the in the story, and at the time, Hollis Kavner, who runs the 3M Open, said, "Oh, I'll I'll get your time with, it. I'll get your time with." It. They kept promising me that, so. You know, uh, Artie's not um, playing competitively anymore, but he, Hollis brings him up every year to play in the little tournament within a tournament and just kind of schmooze and all that stuff. And uh, so he goes, House goes, okay, I got it all set up with you. Go out to the driving range at this time and he'll be out there. So I get out there and, you know, he's hitting balls and he's talking to me while he's hitting balls. And after about two questions, it's clear he doesn't want to talk about it or he wants to do what he's doing. Um, and he's, what was it, was it Corey? I think it was like a nephew or his, was it wasn't his grandson, but the guy who carried his bags and all this stuff. And he was, he was like his, you know, um, guy who did, did all the stuff for, for Arnie. And so Arnie's, for uh, French, uh, just a- answering these questions, but I could tell his heart wasn't in it. And he goes, you know what? I wrote a book about this. You should read my book. <laughs> he gave me the so, book. Corey sent him a book. And, oh, uh, that's classic. You, uh, yeah. Uh, you should read my book. <laughs> and it was like this little black leather, maybe 100 pages. It's was all about how his life turned and the, and the event turned around. And like 10 days later, I get this package from Latrobe. Oh, my gosh. Pennsylvania. I open it up. And the thing they always say about Arnie, and it was true, just meticulous, signed. Arnold probably, you know, you couldn't get it confused with anybody else. And people said that, you know, even when he was doing a whole bunch of them, he wouldn't scribble it. He'd write it so that you could actually legible and read it. It was wow. like perfect penmanship.
2: Do That's you still
3: fantastic. have the book, see? Oh, yeah. It's still on. It's like I don't have very many autographs, and I didn't do that intentionally. Um, I have Ben Crenshaw's autograph on a print. I have of me and my buddy Derek at number eighteen on Sand Hills with this huge storm coming in, these big billowing clouds that you only get in the middle of the Midwest in the middle of nowhere. So I got Ben Crenshaw's. Somehow I ended up with a hat that has Chichi Rodriguez and Arnold Palmer's um, uh, autograph on it, uh, and then the the Arnie book. And I think the only other two I have are Elton and his lyricist Bernie Taupin.
2: Oh wow, wow, that's
1: quite
3: a list.
2: Well, and, and the bag know. of and the bag of grass and the bag of grass from Augusta. No, the fragile, the the yeah, don't sleep on that.
3: Yeah, that's 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 one of the, I, I, that's actually one of the coolest little things from my career that I own.
2: That's, that's awesome. awesome. Okay, so Z, Z real quick uh, for for our listeners, uh, Z Z's right hand has a wristband. That is clearly stating he was at the Elton John concert uh, I, within I, the I, last I, couple of days he hasn't
3: here. Taken it off.
2: So I don't think he's taking it off. So let's let's hear about it. Let's you know you gave us a little snippet, but let's let the listeners in on where you watched Elton John from in Stockholm.
3: Well, when he announced this farewell tour, that everybody gives him crap for because he he had announced that before usually it was in a like a fit of temper you know, and you just kind of shout out at a show this is it i'm never playing again and you know in a day he calmed down but they announced these three-year tour five years ago because he had the two years off because of covid and then he had uh, hip surgery so when it first came out and announced he was just you know when he, when you grow up there's this moment in time where you you start to discover music and then you, you start Start to discover artists. And the, for like Elton himself, it was it was Elvis Presley. For me, it was just, you know, when I was growing up, 13, 14, 15, starting to buy the singles, if anybody remembers mm-hmm. those. Sure. And and the uh, albums, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing Elton anywhere. And, uh, and I was a kid trying to figure out what my voice was and all that stuff. And just his fearless self expression of even all the stupid costumes, I just, for some reason, I just, in my high school years, I just loved him. I first saw him in 76. And then later, like now, I listened to, I probably listened to other people more, like Jason Isbell and uh, Randy Newman and Lyle Lovett and guys like that. But I always had this tie to my childhood with Elton so that when they, he announced this tour, I said, I want to see the first show. I want to see the last show. I want to see him at Dodger Stadium, which is where he was the height of his popularity in 75 when he sold out two days there. I want to see Madison Square Garden. I want to see him in London. So opening night, at Allentown, September 8th, 2018, I went to it. Um, I saw him last summer in Hyde Park uh, at the railing right in front of the stage. It's good for 10 hours to do it. Um, would have loved to have gone to Glastonbury, which was his big farewell here a couple weeks ago, but uh, I was just coming out of COVID, so I missed Madison Square Garden, even though I had a good ticket for him. And then I saw him all three nights at Dodger Stadium. But then I was hemming and hawing. I really want to go see. It's kind of anticlimactic these last two shows because they're in freaking Stockholm, Scott, uh, um, Sweden. And I booked stuff like uh, six months ago just to have it booked all of it, knowing I could cancel like up to a day. And then last week I said, screw it, I'm going to go. And uh, so two nights, Friday and Saturday night. Friday from the seventh row was hooked up by Elton's tour manager for that ticket and got me a ticket for Saturday. And then I ended up by chance going to the box office and six, 10 before an eight o'clock show, getting a, a front row seat for his final tour. And people say, Oh, it's not as It's it's that he certainly isn't going to retire. And it's not his final f- performance. He'll probably play a festival or do a residency of all the, like his new stuff or the non-hits. But the days of schlubbing at, you know, uh, Fargo and Nankato and, uh, you know, all the other places that, that he's played in his career, I think I'm certain those days are over. But just to be there it was cool because people flew in from all over the world, his extended family who were yeah. who had been estranged from him for a while. And then all these people just, I just started meeting all these people from America, from Honolulu, Denver, Dallas, Boston. And it was weird because when I was in Allentown, um, or maybe it was the the next show, but I ran into a guy from Minneapolis who worked at MnDOT. And then at a couple Elton shows after that, like far-flung Elton shows, I ran into him again. And then I didn't speak for like five, four, three years. And so I'm sitting in the seventh row, 20 minutes before the show Friday night, looking down, and this guy goes, Jerry! And it's this <laughs> guy walking in in this whole arena of 25,000 people he was in the same row four seats away from.
1: Him. That's oh, my amazing.
2: Gosh. That is so then, awesome. So yesterday mm-hmm.
3: after the, after the Saturday show we all both had he and his girlfriend and me, we we had a spare uh, day so we took an 8-hour cruise through the archipelago El- all the islands uh that surround Stockholm. So I mean it's, it's just a beautiful city so it was worth it just to see the city but to see the final two shows and see the last one literally 10 feet away from them it was great and i won't apologize for it. i've always felt kind of sheepish but oh you like elton john but it was it was a it was a a, a bit of history that's fantastic so z
0: top three elton john
3: songs to you rocket man you know for a friend Want to go with something obscure here? Uh, yeah, you know, you probably just just for the fact that he's probably so singing at every concert he's played. Uh, probably your song. Nice. There's, there's, I'd like to do something kind of sort of more obscure, but you know, all the concerts he played, and you know, like just for the, the the finale, all these guys. I mean, three of the guys who are in his band, they've been with him since. Sixty-nine or seventy-one. You know, they're all seventy years old now, and they just, you know, uh, keep on going and and and, uh, and going. It was, it was just kind of cool to be able to say goodbye to them too. And uh, um, I think Davey Johnston, who's the lead guitarist, has played thirty-three hundred concerts with that one. And this wow. and this one on Saturday was the three hundred thirtieth of the farewell tour. So. And that's Holy buckets. That's what's taken two years
0: off. I love that. That's just wild. So, Z, uh, a lot's happened since you've been out of the country. Uh, we had a lot actually going on in Midwest Gulf and all over the country, but we just had a couple big weeks on tour. So Rocket Mortgage uh, in Detroit, Ricky Fowler just got a win there. Pretty cool to see Ricky back in action. Uh, I'm not sure if he's coming to the 3M Open. Might not need the points now at this point, but Uh, it was fun having him here last year. So Ricky breaks through and then Sepp Straka breaks through this weekend at the John Deere, almost shoot 60 on Sunday. Kind of one of the weirdest finishes ever shot 62. I think he went what two over on the last five Kaiser. Uh, Yeah. He was my,
1: he was minus 11 through 14.
0: It was staring 59 in the face. So a couple of good weeks there on the tour. Then we had the U S senior open with Bernard Longer, Steve Stricker, Jerry Kelly, all those guys, um, Brett Quigley was right there. Dana's nephew was right in the, in the hunt as well at that over in Stevens Point. But they the, still have the, the
3: flower, they still have the flower holes there?
0: Yes. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, Gary Jacobson and the guys, or excuse me, Peter Jacobson and the guys uh, announcing on TV could not stop saying enough good things. The merchandise tent sold out multiple times. Uh, just a really, really successful week over in Stevens Point at Century World. So um, You know, you know, you t- know
3: runs that tour that tournament now, don't you? Mr. Kavner. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, he put on a good show. So it was a very good week. Everyone was very happy over there. Um, But what really stole the show this week, and I could not stop watching in the evenings, the U.S. Women's Open uh, primetime golf at Pebble Beach. And I've got to ask you, Jerry, having played the golf course, uh, I don't know if you get to see any of it because you're overseas, but uh, Allison Corpus, unbelievable story here. She basically grew up in Michelle Wee's footsteps. What, like eight years younger, Kaiser? Same yeah. school, same everything. And has basically now has the same number of major titles as Michelle Wee already at age 25, I believe. Um, just an incredible story. Played at USC. Got, uh, I believe, two two degrees already. Had a, a bachelor's and a, a, a master's. And uh, now has a uh, a U.S. Women's Open, which such a different event now. They've changed so many things. It was just fantastic on TV. Z, talk a little bit about what you think uh, of what's going on with uh, the USGA and the women's events, and then just about Pebble Beach and your thoughts about that.
3: Yeah, well, they certainly have upgraded, you know, and all, all around USG, um, USGA and then also, you know, with with the pga has done with their women's event you know plenty courses like Hazel and all that stuff was, all of them is, is an upgrade did it look at all like a u.s open uh men's course in terms of uh, rough and
0: it definitely did it definitely did and i think well kaiser was probably 10, 10 people or so that broke par i mean it was kind of similar to the
1: yeah yeah there were only seven players that actually broke par guys it's um You know, it was a really interesting week to watch, and I think it was just awesome to have all the eyes on the women's game, you know, with a kind of a lighter feel in the PGA Tour this week. Not a lot else going on in golf. I think it was just awesome, you know, and to Brad's point, you know, having the primetime golf. I mean, you know, this was, you know, in my opinion, the first time that NBC or really any network really dove into the women's game, giving it primetime air. The stats finally this week, they finally had like every possible stat, you know, that we, you know, we're we always lacking stats in the women's game. They had everything this week, the camera technology, the, you know, the slow, sw- you, know, um, you know, 360 camera angles of the swings. And you know what? The ratings were up 118%. And it's just an interesting topic. It shows when you actually try, maybe, you know, you can produce a pretty cool product. Um, I thought it was personally awesome. I have some questions about the course though, guys um yeah you know the the one thing that was a little slightly disappointing was um the par five was just really for the most for the first three days they weren't reachable, and especially eighteen and so some of that ha- you know had to do with the fact that it was really cold out, it was windy, the ball just wasn't really going anywhere there's just you know I, I think one of the best things about the men's game right now is there's so much risk reward in the game between drivable par fours and reachable par fives and that was the only thing that i thought was kind of lacking this week was like 18 i don't i think like maybe three people actually went for it the entire tournament i think after day one there were 640 chances at par fives and only 11 people hit the par fives so yeah that was my only slight like i guess Yeah, question about the setup, and part of that is the course too. I've I've been fortunate enough to play there as well, but man, it was just so cool to see, and I'm I'm glad the USGA is really diving into far better venues for the women's game.
3: Well, Uh, speaking of of the course, um, uh, for all three of you guys, how many shots in your lifetime do you actually, you think you remember? Not that many. Yeah, there's some. The one I remember is I playing eight on Pebble. Mm-hmm. I'm a really short hitter, so I was way down the hill, yep. it was up anywhere up near the, the the gorge to cross over. And uh, the guy with me has a has a caddy, and the caddy goes, "Just lay it up down here," and I go, "Screw that!" You know, I'm, I'm never probably never play Pebble Beach again. At the time, I paid four hundred dollars, and I wrote a story about it, and they, they spent me back two fifty, so only cost me hundred. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to so I'm, i've got to be 200 plus out I, I go i'm just gonna go for it and usually in those situations i swing too fast i lift my head up get my three wood out got myself to slow down and just hit the purest shot i look like it looked like sergio the first pga running up the hill and jumping and the thing ended up on the front of the green it was like it didn't end up in the cove on the right it didn't end up and of all the shots I've played in golf, I don't remember very many of them. That's the one, partially because, well, mostly all because of where it where it was at. But uh, um, it's and it's it's so much fun to be able to play courses like that and then see it on TV and see how how the really good golfers play it.
1: Yeah, Jerry, that was actually like, I thought the eighth hole was probably the one that played the most different from what you've seen in like, uh, you know, the men's events that are there. It was pretty much hybrids or really long irons for everybody in there. So you, you brought in everything into play, you know, the left bunkers and that just the mess on the right hand side, you know, with the, you know, the, the end of the cliff and just hazard down there. Um, this tournament just just, it, it, it just set up so perfectly for the women's game there. It it was it was awesome to see. Like I think the one other interesting topic aside from Allison Corpuz, just, you know, picking up, you know, her first win and you know, only her second year on tour now she's ranked 6th in the world was kind of the lack of performance from the biggest names in women's golf. Um, you know, your number one play, looking at your top 10 players in the world coming into this event, Jin Young Ko, number 1, missed the cut. Nelly Cord is number two, was T sixty four. Lydia Ko is number three, T thirty three. Lilia Vu just won the last major, you know, missed the cup, plus plus seventeen. Uh, Ronin Yin, T uh, twenty, um, you know, so I mean, it was it was interesting. And then like some of the bigger names, like Lexi Thompson missed the cut, Daniel Kang missed the cut, Jen Cupcho missed the cut, Atiya Titical missed the cut. So these were all the players in the, in the top fifteen, top twenty. It was kind of interesting how the women's game just has. I mean, for as much parity as there is in the men's game. The women's game is a whole nother level of I I think fifteen of the last nineteen major winners have been first time winners. So it's it's
3: it's just very interesting to me. What did the winner do that nobody else did?
0: Crazy enough, she didn't make any putts. She made her first putt of over like twelve feet on the final round. Which you know, in a U.S. Open, if you're contending on Sunday, you've made a handful of putts. You know, ten to forty feet. She just didn't make any mistakes. Yeah, that was it. She was very steady, extremely steady, and she made quite a few birdies where you know she had hit pretty tight iron shots, so she didn't have a lot of real stressful long putts. But I mean, she had she just handled it well on Saturday towards the end of the round on eighteen, she laid up into a fried egg on uh, and just pitched it out and just just dealt with it. And she just never seemed to really press. She seemed very chill. A couple interesting nuggets. So her caddy, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, her caddy is married to Jennifer Cupcho.
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And her caddy's name, and I quote Jerry, is Jay Monahan. <laughs> yeah, it's all there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Because <laughs> they were giving him the award afterwards. You know, the USJ's come up with some cool new awards for the you know, the caddy of the week and all that, and obviously goes to the winner. And the, the, he even uh, Mike Wan even said that he's like, I'm not joking when I say this, <laughs> Jay Monahan. Yeah, so, that's great. But
2: it was pretty
3: Jay- funny. J period? No, no, J-A-Y.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's funny too. Um, Bailey Tardy in an incredible yeah. story uh, from the Epson Tour. How about rocking the, the Epson Tour logo on the sleeve? Very fascinating to see logo differences from PGA Tour to uh, LPGA. You know, you see you had Epson Tour on the side there. Um, someone that was in the hunt, Kaiser, had the uh, Corn Fairy logo on the front of their hat.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they're obviously a big sponsor of golf in general, but yeah, yeah. no, it's just I forgot who that
0: was. Um, you know, our girl Rose, how about Rose finishing T-9, T9 again? I mean, she's just she's playing such great golf, it's uh, didn't take her long to start cashing checks for uh, considering she was a
2: college kid two months ago. But hey Brad, really, did, really didn't good. Tardy qualify here in Minnesota? She Wasn't did. that her sectionals? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, stuff. I, mean, I, mean, I mean,
1: literally, she is a rookie on tour. She is. First, I mean, like it's she was on the Epson Tour for like five years. I mean, it's it's it, you know it's remarkable. The other thing that was kind of crazy too, by the way, she you know the you know everyone's talking about the purses in women's golf, right? If it, I mean for this event, Allison Corpuz had made one point two million dollars her entire career. She just made two million dollars. The entire purse for this event was eleven million. There's many um, L- LPGA events where the entire purse is less than what Corpus just won. Like I think the last event in New Jersey was like 1.8 million dollars for the entire thing, and she just won in one event. Like it it's it's just very all over the map. Where you know, but it, it's obviously great to see that the money is is coming into this particular event. We need to come into more events.
2: I thought we had some great stuff going on with Charlie Hall and yeah. her caddy as well down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, she's just on fire, and some so the some great uh, snippets of conversation of what was happening on their thought process. I thought that was great. Yeah, Charlie Hull with a a 66 final round there to
0: sneak into second place. Uh, Very impressive. And even like, you know, Kaiser talked about Nellie Cordo struggling. You know, she's still not fully healthy. And she actually played pretty well going into the final round and then 80 in the final round. Another nugget. And for all of you, uh, you know, golfers that aren't feeling so well, Allison Corpus almost withdrew from the tournament early in the week with a cold. Was not feeling good. And her mom talked about that when they interviewed her mom, uh, that she just said, you know, I'm just going to fight it out because that's what I do. How about that for a little nugget? So beware of the uh, the unhealthy golfer, um, Jordan, Jordan Flu Game, I guess. It's, it's a pretty cool story that uh, she just fought through it. And uh, pretty special to see her go out and get that major. And again, it's a big deal for, you know, Hawaiian golfers have not had a ton of success um, so to see that, you know, for, um, for, for people yeah. in Hawaii, it's pretty awesome to see that happen. And, um, Fred, she, only, her, had, she for... only had, she
1: only had 5,000 Instagram followers last week. What? Wow. Like, I mean, that's less than, than Jeff Munichi. I mean, I that's to say that's
0: like a quarter of Jerry's Agoda. I,
1: I know yeah. it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, now she's, yeah, and now she's going to be on the Solheim cup team and she's ranked number six in the world. It, it's, it, it's just an awesome story.
0: So Z, before we go, we got two big weeks coming up of the PGA Tour. Well, not even the PGA Tour, but just in golf, we've got the Scottish Open this week. Just a loaded field at the Scottish Open. Then we've got the Open Championship the week after. We just finished in London with Live Golf, and guess who won the Live Golf tournament this weekend? None other than defending Open Championship uh, Open Champion Cam Smith. And second place was Patrick Reed, and then Mark Leishman. So some of these guys, I think Louis Oosthuizen was right there too and DJ. So it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of weeks to watch these guys work their back, way back in with everyone. Z, if you had to give me your 30-second nugget on how you feel about live golf and live golfers and uh, all of that's happening in golf, what would you say?
3: No, unfortunately, well, part of that, and, and I haven't really I've had some problems health-wise not being able to play as much golf as i wanted to play, but live golf plays into you know, it, too. Just the way it affects me is I've really kind of lost my interest in golf a little bit the last couple of years. You know, I think part of it is just rich guys fighting over more money and you know that whole thing and the diluted fields and covering the 3M here. I mean, it was always a challenge to get a field here to get the 3M. Now it's a real challenge. You know, the best mm-hmm. thing probably a couple of top guys, big names, and then fill it in. You know, all the guys who used to be fighting for their FedEx points and all that stuff would come here. And, know it it just has affected the field and we'll see you know how these upcoming schedules in the next couple years you know how they figure it out the haves and the have-nots in terms of all the tournaments and where that where the 3m open sits and all that but i've i've kind of lost a little bit of uh i I, I used to just i'd say i'd love golf and now the last couple years maybe Munin just has to invite me to
1: play a couple
0: more times. Oh, we, oh, there we go. To bring back the joy.
3: <laughs> that's <laughs> well, uh, we well played.
2: Well played, Z. Well played. I love um, it. We definitely have conversations. That's for sure. So,
0: Z, two more questions. I lied. Uh, we've got our question of the week. On our uh, our team worked so hard out on the Twitter sphere asking questions. Uh, question of the week brought to you by Kevin Kreider and First Class Mortgage. First question: What's your favorite side? For your post-golf round meal, either on the patio or in the clubhouse. So, say you're going to get a burger or a sandwich or a salad or something
3: like that. And what's your favorite side? Side? Oh, boy. Um, After playing, I'd say maybe waffle fries. Oh, (laughs) I love it.
0: So, of the options given by our Twitter team, uh, that was not one of them, but probably probably a miss. Um, Tater tots. Tater tots was uh forty-six percent of those polled said tater tots, twenty-seven percent said onion rings, twenty-seven percent said regular fries, and zero percent said seasoned fries. So it'd be interesting to see if we had added the fifth option of waffle fries where they'd rank, because <laughs> it's a really, really good. I mean, and you could say sweet potato fries too, right? If you uh oh, sure. that's another good option. So
3: you could also put me down to the to tater tots and I wouldn't complain. <laughs>
0: So the other question, and I can't wait to hear your answer on this one. This is, I believe our Twitter team, uh, also known as Jeff Mieke, uh posted this right around the 4th of July. And the, the, the question was, what's the worst place for sunburn while you're trying to play golf? Uh, the, <laughs> options, the options listed were top of feet, which, yes, um, back and shoulders, uh, arms and legs, or face. And uh, those are the options. 56% of those polled said top of feet. 28% said back and shoulders. 10% said arms and legs. And 6% said face. Z, which one are you going with?
3: It looks like a real nasty sunburn. Yeah, yeah. like a real, like, think of, like, crispy. I'd say back and shoulders. This because the turning, the turning, the turkey. But, I agree.
2: You
3: know, yeah. The only <laughs> reason why
0: I say top of feet is because it's, like, painful to get your socks on and into your shoes. But you make a good point. Why like, would, what are you using? You're what still using your questions? shoulders
3: more. Why would anyone think of this question?
0: Well, I think <laughs> Jeff Munich he probably went straight John Candy and uh, at John the Candy's
2: summer rental, getting a good base.
0: And then he tried to get on the oh. golf course the next day, and he immediately regretted his decision.
2: So, Mune,
1: which of these areas were you sunburned on after the Fourth of
2: July? All, <laughs> all, all of them, all of the above.
1: I think the golf, I I, I think the shoulders and then the neck area, if that's burned and you're playing golf and the, and the sun's still beating on it the whole time, like, yeah,
0: that's got to go collar up Jim Culver style, right? It's like
1: hurts through the shirt. You know, like this, you can feel the sun on the burn.
2: Top top of feet is tough. You got to get that (laughs) extra cushion sock. You got to tie the shoe really loosely. Um, I suppose you could go golf sandals to take a little pressure off. Uh, I don't know if that's a good good thought. Um, don't discount the face though have... either. Yeah. Don't yeah. discount the face. If you got a burnt face oh. and we're just in pain, where for me, my glasses resting on my nose with a sunburned <laughs> nose is not a, not a great feel. You so know don't what? discount. What
3: well, would be worst of all? I'm not sure how you get it. Bottom of the.
0: Oh, Oh, like, let's say you're like laying out in the sun or something. You got your feet, like the bottom of your feet up and you fall asleep or something, right?
2: Oh, it's like walking on hot coals. Yeah, Yeah. walking on. That's that's a tough one. Well,
0: I tell you what, uh, we really appreciate your time, Jerry. This was uh, fantastic. Great to catch up. Great to hear all about Elton. And uh, I love that you're still wearing the wristband. By far the highlight of my night.
3: I didn't realize it had it on. Yeah,
2: it's four fifteen body clock for me a.m. It's so great. Uh, hey, Z, I I I gotta throw this in really quickly. Uh, you have your list. Uh, we, we've we've talked many times about Sand Valley Mammoth Dunes. The Lido has opened up. Uh, it sounds like Jim Pete and I are going to have a chance to play at the end of September. The Lido. Wow.
3: How yes. About that. Yep. No, man, of course. Cool. It's yeah. yeah. Sand Valley could have snuck in my uh, top ten, but I kind of forgot about Sand Valley and and, and Whistling Straits too. But I just I'm more uh, I'm more prone to go with uh, Bandon just because it's always been there. Like Whistling Straits, they just moved a crap load of uh, dirt to make it and Bandon right. natural. So
0: that's a really good point. Well, thank you, Jerry. We really appreciate it, and want to thank our listeners for tuning in this week. Uh, And thank our sponsors, Beth Kellogg Interiors, APK Charities, Jarrett Yalen with Northwestern Mutual, Krissa Haugen with REMAX, and Kevin Kreider with First Class Mortgage. Please find us and subscribe on Apple or Spotify and interact with us on Instagram and Twitter. If you've got a show idea, email us at theprovisionalgolfpod at gmail.com. Until next week, folks. Cheers.